everyone. Welcome to another episode of ACTO. So today the topic will be odd systems, in particular the odd systems dev community. So we invited two people, Miguel Melo, which still maintains the relationship with uh, this community, but he was also previous, uh, previously already a manager in odd systems. And we have Miguel Baltazar, which is the current lead of this community. Welcome you both <laughs> to this Thank episode. You. Thanks for having Thank us. You. I think a good starting point would be for everyone that is listening to us, uh, giving an introduction about yourselves. Um, I think, I don't know who wants to start, maybe Mel. And now I'm going okay. to call you Mel and Baltazar. So. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I'll, I'll start. Name so basically, you know, I'm I, by heart a software engineer uh, of all my life, which is quite long, as you can tell by the white beard. Um, <laughs> indeed, I was a, a very high code programmer for many years. Uh, and I had the opportunity in 2001 to join this small startup made up of a few uh, good people uh, called, called OutSystems. Um, I stayed with OutSystems in total for... Ooh, 15 years, 15 years, the nine of which actually working in, in the platform. Uh, and uh, then community manager, which uh, was actually an activity that uh, fills me still to this day of great pride. Uh, and finally, my last, well, let's put it, occupation within OutSystems was in the training group, um, not only creating curriculum for, you know, some of you might have studied using my curriculum. I'm, 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 I apologize for any shortcomings of that. But also, you know, in classroom uh, engagements, which I always found very, very, uh, very exciting. And I think I taught out systems in 12 different countries. So okay. that's that's quite a, a cool story. Um, for six years, I'm now in the Netherlands. I moved to the Netherlands. And uh, five years ago, I uh, co-founded a now systems partner over here in the Netherlands, uh, which is Product League. And yeah, we're, we're going good. And we're still very excited with the work that... Uh, out systems does and we do without systems. Cool. And now you about this app? Okay. Me, well, uh, I'm also a computer science um, by training, uh, but, uh, but effectively, I don't think I ever was a great developer, effectively. I, I, I've always kind of skirted around um, and, and really, the, the things that I've always interested in is, is, is solving the problems uh, and not so much doing the development itself. I guess that's one of the reasons why I, uh, I actually joined uh, Paulo Rosado's first startup uh, in 1998 um, because the promise was to have, do, be able to solve problems with coding less, which was, was something that appealed to me. Um, well, fast forward a few years, um, I actually joined OutSystems in, in 2003. Um, I, I effectively am going to turn 20 OutSystems years the, this year, so 2023. Um, and I've done basically a little bit of everything. I've, I've actually run marketing for a little bit. I did partnerships um, back uh, before 2006. Um, and then in 2006, uh, I, I moved to the US and I kind of brought up our systems, everything that had to do pre-sales, professional services, so everything that was technical. Um, and, and I was there in the US in the Bay Area for um, eight years. So I moved back in, in 2015. Uh, and so we went from customer one, which was our first customer that we got there in 2006, 
to about you know 60 to 70 customers in 2015 which was a really really big journey and, and a lot of doors closed in our faces and a lot of what the hell is the Portuguese company doing selling software in the Bay Area that does that makes no sense whatsoever what are you guys doing here um to having you know flagship customers uh like Safeway Charles River and, and other uh, big customers which then allowed us to really start our presence in the US in 2015. Um, I've moved back 2015 I did professional services for a while experts then I did customer success I helped launch the customer success practice um, and and over the years I've moved uh, from place to place my most recent before what I do now and I'll tell you exactly what I do now but the um, before what I do now was running out of system support. So I ran out system support for about oh, uh, three and a half years, uh, which was a, definitely a, a very challenging yet very rewarding uh, post. Um, and in May of last year, um, Gonzalo de Olas and Paulo invited me to to run uh, the, the, the community, to run the, the, the out systems developer relations team uh, which, you know, we then decided that uh, the title VP of developers would make a lot more sense uh, because that's, that's, those are the people that actually use our product eight hours a day um, and, and to whom we should be catering for. Um, and so I was very happy to take on this, this post and I am still, we're still going through it. We have a great team um, and we have a great community. So I'm really keen to be here and, and talking about it. So one thing that, um, so I was planning on, on asking one thing, but then, you know, after what you just said about Azad, I think definitely begs the question that is, what I think it's it's very unique about our systems, I would say, is that well, usually uh, a SaaS company is pretty much just focusing on selling the product, right? And so it's all about, you know, selling the product, sales, 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 and, you know, and definitely, you know, taking it off, uh, taking off. Um, but for our systems in particular, it's super interesting because not only you need to sell the platform, the product, but you also need to create a community of people that are going to use it, right? And and I think that the, the autism story that, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that we need to talk about that as well, is fascinating in that sense, right? It's almost like you you try to solve two problems at once. That is, I'm bringing a super interesting platform that is going to solve tons of problems, but I need people to make implementations like the consultants, the autism professionals of this community. Uh, and you need yeah. to grow that community as well at the same time. Mary, you're definitely kind of, you know, breaking through the, the market. Like, in your opinion, and I know this obviously is very subjective, what do you think it's harder? Was it kind of to convince companies to adopt out systems or was it actually to go to professionals and say, look, this is a technology of the future. Learn this because you're going to be successful. I think it's, it's, it's effectively both, right? It's, it's very hard. It's, it's something that needs to be done at the same time. You need to push both levers at the same time or else yeah. it doesn't go up right if you yeah. push one or push the other it doesn't it doesn't work um but the truth is um a lot of the sales that our systems does is done at the level of the cto it's done at the level of the business and the it decision makers because those are the people that need to understand what is the use case they're going to use our systems for right so i can sell out systems to to a company and then they look at it and say what does it do and we say nothing right it, it, unless you build something with it it does nothing right um but then effectively 
uh, if those people are very excited to have an amazing use case, but then they have no one to put it in and to implement it, then it basically, again, there's no value to it, right? Um, and that is why um, this notion of a community of training, the speed of training, the level of content, the community that support uh, that supports the newbies that come in, because a lot of times our customers say, okay, I have four developers here that are doing something else. I'm going to move them to our systems to build this app. And can you build an app effectively with four people that are just learning the technology fast enough? It's hard, right? And I guess this is where Miguel Melville comes in, um, because our partner community is vital in these steps, right? Your first app, uh, unless you have experienced out systems people, should have the presence of a partner that has those experienced out systems people that can only quickly bring the value that the CDO and the IT decision maker is looking for, but at the same time can coach your internal developers, can help them and show them and, and in a way kind of evangelize them a little bit to see how um, not only this is a great thing for the company, but it's also a great thing for them because they can deliver value faster. They're able to get ahead in their career a lot faster and they're able to add to their skills portfolio something that is coming up in the market. Miguel, I, I would call, I'd like you to comment, I think, because this is, this is highly relevant. Yeah, uh, no, I, I I agree. Both things need to to uh, you know come up at the same time because they feed back as you as as you described. And one of the on the side of the people and the capabilities, not of the platform. Um, you know, normally the clients uh, are are just not ready to themselves fend for themselves and leverage all the goodness that the even the best platform might have. And, and then where do you effectively locate these people and what is the path for the individual client between starting up and, you know, uh, dot on the horizon where they might be more uh, independent. And indeed, I think this is where um, some help beyond the technology, uh, as much as a, as a technology driven company as OutSystems has some help on the human side, on the re human resources side is needed. And I, I observed throughout the years, obviously, the the investment that OutSystems noticed that it needed to make not just on individuals that need to learn, but also indeed on the partner ecosystem, so that uh, you know they would have um, you know people stalwarts, someone who that um, extends beyond the initial handshake of OutSystems of selling the pl platform into the actual process of you know making the platform come alive on the context of that particular client. And, and this obviously, you know, involves um, the, the, the raw, the, the raw out systems developers, consultants, and, you know, where do you get the knowledge? And probably we're going to talk a little bit more about how the community does it. But actually, what I have found over the last few years is you also need the help to bridge sometimes the lack of maturity that the individual clients have uh, on figuring out what it is that they actually need. Uh, so I'm, I'm beyond the, the, the hardcore community of OutSystems developers that know the features and know, respect the architecture and all of that, you need to build also an outer layer of practice of people who can translate the, 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 the wishes of the client 
into something that is manageable than then to be instantiated in code. So there's even when you look at just people and, and staffing, there's several layers that you also need to get going at the same time to, to realize the value of the platform. Before we go into detail about the, the community and the work that the community is doing, I need to ask just for us to situate a bit in time, when was the community created? Because OutSystems already has a big, a big story, so already more than 20 years. I wonder what was the main drive at the time to create a community and uh, how has been the evolution since, there, since then uh, for the community? Oh. Well, I'm, I'm trying to of the archaeology part of me. Yeah, it, it is very. I yeah, now you put me kind of on the spot. I would probably <laughs> place the community actually started with Paulo Tavares, the uh, community management. Uh -huh. He was the first, and he's in the team of Miguel Baltazar, a great, great, great guy, a person with lots of smarts and lots of heart for for the developers. Um, and uh, basically, when he moved on to other challenges, I filled in his very, very shoes, big shoes to fill in. Um, so I would, I think, probably the formal community um, would have come alive at ten, or at least with a dedicated person to ten, with a dedicated person uh, seeing to it. Obviously, community has been there since the beginning. Uh, you know, since the beginning, that our systems has had people in the clients which were not part of the company and were there the broader community need. Yeah, absolutely. I think that first those first customers were people that actually learned and that we talked to and then and then they eventually talked to other people and they, you know, a little bit like Malcolm Glad this tipping point, right? It just started slowly. Um, and we still have, you know, people from that time. I remember my our second customer in the in the US. Um, I just got a call from the person that was there saying, hey, you know, I have this great because we're launching this digital volunteers um, thing this year and it's going to be really important to, to contribute to community. We can talk a little bit about it later. Uh, but he just called me and said, hey, I have this perfect nonprofit. I'm not working without systems anymore in, in my current job, but I really like to work without systems at this nonprofit. It would be great. So these people, this this these people that started, they're still there, they're still going. But I would say uh, Miguel is right, in which 2010 was the first time that we said, there's there's a, a whole community out there. We need to enable them. We need to yeah. be able to 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 create these these capabilities so that we we help them grow and and, and learn and evolve. Uh, and uh, the truth is that I don't think we actually thought of it as, as community, right? We we just wanted to support these people. We wanted to give them the tools that they needed to talk to each other, etc. And then all of a sudden, it just it just started going. It's just it, I think effectively the community created itself, and with our support, they just they just started building on each other. Um, and the truth is that you know people come in, they ask questions, they are helped by you know these amazing mvps and champions that we have uh, answering all these questions and then they themselves want to give back and they want to be part of the community they want to teach other people as, as they come in and influence so effectively you know i wouldn't say our job is easy but our job is just to remove roadblocks and let let the community kind of fuel itself for all mm -hmm. purposes. So, so to your point would you would you say that you know the community 
the community by itself, it's kind of almost like a self, self-run community. So it's people that had the same sort of interest, got together. You pretty much act as some sort of, of glue of giving some sort of, you know, of tool enablement, just like you said very well, like just saying, mm-hmm. look, you, you all have the same sort of challenges, problems. You, you're all kind of learning things that you can share and, in, right. and, and, and definitely kind of, you know, even make the, the community more interesting. That kind of reminds me a little bit of, of you know, the stack overflow of this life, right? That is, mm-hmm. you know, a place where you know that if you're into this sort of technology, you know that you're going to have some support, maybe for some random person. Right. And that kind of means mm-hmm. what makes the community interesting. No, a- absolutely, you're you're completely right, Pedro. The, the only the only issue uh, that we've had, and we had this all along, and and we've I mean we've disrupted a lot of things, right? We invented cloud before it was even cloud. The name out systems comes from the fact that we wanted applications that would run outside of your data center somewhere, right? That's why it's called out systems. So uh, effectively, you know, Paulo invented cloud in 2003, and cloud only came up, you know. 2008, 2009, as, as, as a concept itself. Um, but our logic has always been that. The problem is because our product, our product is visual, right? Our product, it really effectively does not give itself to be supported by Stack Overflow, which has all these amazing tools to merge code, to get snippets, to do copy-paste. Do... So we had to create our own tools using actually our own product. So all our community, our forums, our forge, our jobs, all of that is created without systems. So we had to create our own product and our own community tools that would adapt to the type of product that we have, right? Visual languages are not easy to get snippets or to copy paste stuff or to get. So effectively, uh, it, it tends to be, we had to create our own GitHub with forge, for example, because you cannot, easily put an out systems project inside of GitHub, right? It takes a little bit of, of jingling. So we we ended up having to create the community tools for the community to be able to collaborate and to help themselves, to help each other uh, in this process. Um, so so effectively, uh, you know, if you come to the out systems community, some people say, oh, it's like a cult because they're all in the website. They don't go anywhere else. But the truth is that it's hard. It's it's it's, it's li- literally um, logistically hard to manage out systems code somewhere else. Now with integrations and components, we're going we're doing more of that. Uh, but but everybody's there. Everybody works with the tools, and it's it's a really really active and thriving community. Yeah, and I I think I, basically what out systems takes the role of, and I think this is a little bit what, what Miguel uh, Baltazar was saying, is uh, OutSystems acts more as a steward for the intrinsic motivation that the individuals that use the platform already carry, especially in the earlier days. I mean, the community rose up because, uh, because people were just excited about the possibilities, and there was this yeah, this this some, somewhat restricted uh, number of people. So so you 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 had the feeling that uh, you you were part of something that was quite unique, and uh, in very early on, and a lot of the the participators at, at way back then included, for example, a lot of Dutch people for historical reasons, uh, because well, first of all, after Portugal, the Netherlands uh, became a very very big important hub for for out systems, and because culturally the the dutch are quite driven at sharing so so I'll, the the community managers uh, will tell you that 
way back then, even though we actually had more Portuguese developers in just sheer numbers than, than, than we have Dutch, we did see a lot of participation of the Dutch and we needed somehow to host all of those snippets and good stuff in some way that, as, as Balthazar said, couldn't just be put up in, in GitHub. So really, I, I guess the digital team the, that supports the, the, the properties of, of community in our systems is like, okay, there's so much good stuff that actually is emerging from the community, from you know, people who are super keen on putting, putting something back. How do we handle the discoverability of these things? How, how, do we, how do we facilitate that someone maybe in India joins a group that was started by someone in Singapore that also includes someone in the US and between them they can you know, uh, join together into features. Um, and and that's, that's the, just a digital place, but another thing that the community at large, uh, the organizational community does is really, you know, create moments where you can still capture this one-on-one -on -one of the individuals um, to try to, uh, yeah, to also keep the fire of belonging to something going. Because, yeah, in, uh, the, the word kind of cult was was used. It's not it, it, obviously no one wants to have a cult, but you do it's want in a positive word. <laughs> who are inflamed oh, for the cult. cultish, <laughs> cultish. So, 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 because those those people sometimes are the people who, who think and come up with, you know, sideways ways of doing things that maybe work around some current limitation on the technology, and and they get the R and D thinking. Oh, then this guy came up with a really good idea. Maybe we could bake into this. So it, there's there's a lot when you zoom into community and the participation of individuals, especially very intelligent individuals, it's it's super exciting to be in the vortex of these discussions. Yeah, let, let me grab on this comparison with uh, Stack Overflow because we are talking about in that case a platform that technologies that are all known by computer science people. <laughs> Here we are talking about that systems, which is uh, a technology that back then was not known by many people and still today we find some people with computer science background that don't know out systems and i see sometimes with some friends of mine that there is still some resistance from computer science uh, engineers uh, oh low code mm, is that real for me is that real the, the thing for me i'm going to to to, to get away from those geeky tools and the, that that low code uh, that high code level do you continue to see these resistance and how has these resistance has evolved during uh, all these years? Um, oh, I, I think, you know, I'll jump on this one. I think we'll continue to, to see it because, you know, and, you know, I, I think maybe all of us are software engineers. So we're, we're, you know, we're part of the problem or at some point we're part of the problem. Maybe, you know, Balthazar <laughs> has distanced himself a little bit more, but I certainly cannot have the plausibility to do so. There is a degree of bravado when you're, you know, a very, to use an expression that people used to use at our systems, a deep engineer. There's a certain bravado, there's a certain uh, amount of like Rambo thing that you think like, okay, if, if I'm going to do what I do in a technology that's accessible to people with, you know, not quite as many chops as I have, then I'm selling myself short. So there is, yeah, there's all a, a weird self-preservation attitude on, on people who are a little bit less pragmatic, 
um, that makes them sort of be standoffish about technologies that sound like they simplify things. Um, but having said that, you still see it, but I observe that it is eroding because um, I, think, I think people are beginning to realize that you can be a very valued professional, that your chops and your intelligence, um, when applied in a low-code uh, platform or a platform that's uh, that's more focused on outcomes than you know open brackets close brackets that those multipliers will still apply but you do need to go over that hump i think uh, absolutely i mean i i agree miguel when when you say that it is eroding we we have seen so to answer directly your your, your question sara um we are seeing less and less resistance of people coming into our systems um, and, and that is for two main reasons, at least in my opinion. Uh, the first one is that low-code is really becoming a standard and it's growing like crazy. And Gartner, I don't know if you saw, but uh, this year we actually uh, were named leaders again in the, in the Gartner quadrant. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and for example, one of the big criteria that Gartner gives to us in terms of, of fully leadership and being the, the, the ones best able to execute is actually the fact that we have a fort with over 4,000 components, right? And you look at any other low-code tools, they have hundreds. We have more than 4,000 in there ready to be used uh, and a really thriving community that like Miguel described. Um, so people, I think a lot of the, 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 the deep engineers, as Miguel say, as are starting to look at low-code as you know, oh, this is just a silly thing to make uh, simple applications and are starting to think that low code is now one extra skill they need to have, right? They need to learn how to have to write SQL. They need to know how to write JavaScript. They need to know how to do Flutter, right? Um, and, and they need to know how to do low code because there are certain pieces of applications that make a lot of sense to be done in low code. And there's others that don't do not, right? So there's certain use cases where a, a good developer, someone that is trying to actually solve the problem and not just code for the sake of coding, that will be able to use low code as one of the many tools in their tool set to create the application that they need, right? We you know, for example, that our system has just acquired Ionic because one of the reasons we see is that there's a big, big capability of, of still doing front ends in Ionic and doing the back ends in our systems and being able to integrate both of them. So. Uh, more and more, this is not something that you lose everything else and you start programming in low code and that's your life, right? This is another skill in your in your skill set, right? And so I would urge anybody that's hearing this that does not know a lot about low code to go try it out because this is something useful. If you want to be an architect in the future, if you want to be a team lead, if you want to be a CIO or a CTO, you need to know what are the right use cases for low code and what are not the right use cases for low code and when to use it. So um, a lot of what we see, uh, besides, you know, of course, people that are coming in to learn how to program, to have a simpler capability, um, are the expert deep developers coming in to understand when to use it, how to use it. And a lot of them say, hey, this makes complete sense. Why am I going to lose? five weeks doing this, if I can do it in two or three days, because it's an exact use case that I've accused in low code. Or why am I going to do this piece of my project with the integration with the backend and then the exposure of the service 
somewhere else that I can do in local, and then I can really focus in doing my pixel perfect front end or my X, my, my mobile application in the technologies that make sense for that. So uh, more and more, we see that resistance eroding uh, for these two reasons, I would say. When will we see uh, all systems in the universities? Because this conversation was kind of, you know, really, really hitting in my head because I was like, Sure, you know, when I was at school, you know, we learned a little bit about Microsoft, maybe a little bit of open source. Like everything that we are saying, I think it's super relevant. And I think that obviously this adoption, you know, this resistance, to, oh, I don't know if I will, I like this. Definitely, it's a lot about, you know, lack of education, lack of really understanding, you know, what's it about, you know, what's in it for someone to start learning it. Do we think that, or are we hoping that one day universities really adopt this and also show this to, to students or... Is this something that is already happening? Is this well, something this, on the, Miguel, on the I'll, I'll go first and then I'll let you say Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, is, I'm, I think very <laughs> relevant. <laughs> I want to go at this one. <laughs> but yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, um, you know, universities have always been something that is very talked about. I tell you, I, you know, I, I started this job in May and by June, I had already had 20 calls with 20 people inside of our systems that say, hey, why aren't we doing this in universities, right? Or at least pushing this very hard in universities. Yeah. Um, the, I think the important thing to say here is that we are pushing it hard in universities. There's a lot of universities around the world that are now using our systems uh, as, as ways of teaching specific capabilities. Like, uh, I think, Miguel, it's, it's the one you work with that is teaching business process management using out systems as, as a way of, of, of teaching this. Uh, we also have universities that are just teaching it as a way of teaching students how to program and how to do um, applications. Um, the, the issue with universities is, and I'll be very blunt here with all of you, is that we need to scale. In order to do it properly, we need to be able to scale. And, and we at out systems do not have the resources to go and talk to 700 universities all across the world. So what we're actually doing and we're releasing is what we call an educator kit. So it, it's, it's, it's a piece of, of, of documentation and training that allows teachers to use our free edition, which is, we call it the personal edition, to train their students. It has exams, it has syllabus, it has content. So it has a lot of things that, that it has a back office where they can see how their students are progressing through the courses oh, wow. and all of that. So all of this thing is, is, is being released. We've been having it uh, and, and creating it and testing it on the ground. Um, so the objective here is then to have our partners, our customers, our employees go to whatever universities they want and say, hey, here's something I would like to see because I'm an alumni of, of Chicago University or, or, or Stanford or whatever, right? And then just scale it that way. It's, it's very hard. We started an education program a few years ago, but it always hit that bottleneck, which is how many people do we need to run 700, 1,000 universities, which is what we need to do. So we're rethinking it, getting a new tool and trying to, to move from there. Miguel, yeah. go ahead. Uh, it, is, it is, well, it's a subject certainly quite close to my heart. And just yesterday, I emailed uh, two universities here in the Netherlands, trying to do a little bit my, my bit. Um, obviously, Product League is not involved formally with universities or, or, or training, but uh, myself and a few other people have a heart for, for, for the next generation. Because let's let's be honest, you know, we're not getting any younger, and uh, you know, the next the next people need to be in place 
to you know to continue the the work we're we're doing. Um, it is, however, I, I think, and 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 Balthazar mentioned a little bit the, uh, the 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 several flavors by which OutSystems is is mentioned in universities. The one university where I uh, do uh, yearly a, a couple of of kind of master classes, um, they indeed went for the OutSystems as an add-on to a grander subject, which is business process modeling. Now, I think their heart is in the right place, but for example, in that particular case, I think the out system, the time for out systems is a little bit squashed uh, within what the, that particular subject can, uh, can uh, have in terms of hours per, per week. So I posit that uh, people maybe get out of this particular course with some cursory knowledge of out systems and maybe actually with a certain degree of tiredness of like oh gosh i had to you know cram this language to do something else because the subject is called something else and i think the the, the big challenge that we have as a community and that out systems in particular the community group um, needs to have is how can we have more of the universities where low code is a first class citizen and it is indeed um explained as uh, indeed, as, as as something that you should aspire, uh, and not as an add-on to another concept. And and obviously, when once you actually go uh, over the all the prejudice of the bravado that we talked a little bit, actually, it, they're they're the best uh, languages for you to teach. You know the essentials of the thought process of engineering software. So so for me, it's a no-brainer that you know that people should use low code as the you know the sweet spot of being able to teach ideas like scopes and 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 data and database without the person needing to boil the ocean and learn java and compilers and uh, to get it going so i i think basically the framework is there and the technology is very adapt at it um it, we, i think we just haven't do, done justice in terms of wooing the, the universities, uh, and it might be something that now, as, as Miguel was saying, as low code gets more and more visibility, that the lecturers and the people who create the curriculum, they will come around and sort of say, you know what, maybe we should teach this as well, you know, maybe teach Java, you know, Python, and the low code platform. And hopefully, in, this, in our case, we hope it's out systems. But even if it's not out systems, I think it will add to the, the body of knowledge and it will erode the any prejudice that this is a, a, a um, I don't know, a corner uh, option or a secondary option. And I think we all stand to gain from, from this uh, awakening. For sure. Since our system simplifies so much the complexity of the development, I wonder do we have people in the community that don't have any computer science background and at some point in their lives they had a big career shift on the moment that they discovered low code <laughs> is low code for more people than only than just the, the computer science ones i don't know well, well maybe I'll, I'll tackle i'll tackle that and then i'll let miguel add a little bit of color because i'm sure he knows a lot of people like that well, it's, it's very interesting because we see three big types of, of developers uh, being drawn towards OutSystems. The first one, 
we already mentioned this experience developers are looking for low code as a way to expand their knowledge to be more productive and to resolve their problems faster the second one is of course we already talked about universities but recently graduated uh, computer science people also uh, tend to gravitate because it's it's an open career it's faster you you get promoted faster we have data that shows that uh, uh, that effectively people get to tech lead and, and senior developer in less than, than than five years which in traditional code is completely unheard of and then they go on to be um you know uh, actually architects um, much much faster um but most importantly i think uh, and, and it's very important that we understand this computer science people actually are able to use low code to a lot fuller extent because they understand what's behind it and they're able to, to tackle more complex use cases. But the truth is for the everyday application that is needed inside of organizations, um, low code is able to cater with very uh, different levels of simplicity, but actually in a very simple way. So we've seen a lot of reskilling programs uh, both for people that are outside of, uh, of computer science, uh, but also, you know, for minorities, underserved minorities and other people that, that need a, a help and a leg up um, that allows them to start with programming and actually be highly active and then highly skilled programming using low code um, and, and effectively um we're working with with organizations around the world that are doing that and that are being extremely successful we, i know uh, one of the members that is currently in r d that started in the demo team while i was running the demo team um and she uh, she was uh, an environmental engineer and she basically just came in and all of a sudden she became our, one of our best developers and she moved on to be to be inside of OutSystems R&D. But there's, you know, there's a lot of stories. I don't know if you saw last year's keynote that we did in Next Step, uh, the day three keynote. We have a large amount of testimonials from people in that video that just started and are getting their lives changed and evolving. And it's not just being able to do something that, that you're good at and that that you that gets you the money for you to survive, but also being able to be with your family more, have a better work-life balance, to be able to uh, even volunteer your skills um, in order to help other people. Um, we've been having you know a lot of cases inside of our community of people that have changed their lives uh, because now with low-code, they're able to actually be uh, computer programmers and developers, and that is that is awesome. Yeah, I, I would say that obviously uh, software in, in engineering background gives you, uh, uh, you know, it kind of bootstraps you being able to get to some of the things that you will eventually get to. But I would say if if, if someone from other walks of life, if, if they have the, the, the mindset, if they have a structured way of, you know, tackling things in their lives, um, if, uh, if they're, you know, generally... Uh, very, uh, you know, systematic in whatever it is they, that they do. And it, this could be your, I don't know, you might be a psychologist or you might be something else. Um, certainly those people that come, maybe not from software engineer, but the greater group of STEM, so, you know, sciences, technology, uh, engineering and, and mathematics, those people, the, the thought process is there. And if they have the, the discipline and the willingness to, to step in, they can become very, uh, very capable and very good 
developers. And tying together with something that I said earlier on is uh, the fact that a lot of the times you think and you, you, you apply your time thinking a little bit higher level actually puts you more in contact with what is it that I'm actually trying to fix. I'm not trying to do a sort algorithm. Well, most of the time, you're not trying to do a sort algorithm that's as fast as possible. You're trying to achieve something. And this already puts you a little bit on the, on, on the spectrum of maybe you could actually be more of an analyst kind of person. You know, yes, with the technical chops for implementing, but with a little bit more of a, you know, client facing skills, etc., etc. And this is something that, you know, people sometimes do not understand as as the years go by, your interest can change. And if you're locked into a into a, a technology where really all, the only thing that you ever done was super high uh, charged, you know, software engineering, and then you decide to, that you, you know, maybe your focus isn't there, you're old and tired or you're wiser or whatever, you need to move completely away. Actually, within the framework, the worldview of local, it's certainly espoused in, 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 in product league because we actually have people who, who address the other roles that are not just development, like analysts and product owners, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen people who sort of say, you know, I really am enjoying this part of you know, just figuring out what we're trying to achieve. And these people can easily remain in the same ecosystem, remain in the same clients, remain in the same projects and start moving towards these other roles because it is more blended. And I think this is a very compelling proposition that's easier, for example, when we talk with business IT students than the pure software engineer computer science because the business IT students they like technology, they'd rather stay with technology, but they tend to have a more open minds towards other areas. And I actually think this is might be even the sweetest spot if we want to address universities, rather than the, the pure geeks, you know, the people who are a little bit more on the on the fence of how they see technology. Yeah, Miguel can say geek because he's a geek himself. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my tribe, so I'm good. No. I really enjoy the point of view of, of local uh, helping also on the diversity of the tech community. That's that's super interesting. Um, you know, very quickly because I know that you know we will need to end the, the show pretty soon. Um, we spoke already about next step. Um, we know it's pretty much you know the the flagship uh, event of, of of this this super interesting community. Um, I, I know obviously that I imagine that COVID uh, had an impact uh, on the dynamic on on the way that the community lived. Um, any news for for this year of 2023? <laughs> yes, actually, we are we are we. I mean, starting with the end of your question, COVID did have a significant impact in, in our community. Um, initially, the impacts were actually surprisingly more positive um, mm -hmm. because we were able to. Uh, we had to move, of course, all our events to be virtual. Um, interestingly enough, we've had experiences where. The fact that our events were virt became virtual uh, brought a lot more people to those events and actually brought a lot more diversity to those events. I'll give you a quick example as a story. Um, we started having, um, we used to do developer schools and in the developer schools, people would come to our office to, to learn for two weeks after hours uh, to learn how to code out systems. Uh, and when we had to move them to be virtual, we started getting, for example, a lot more women 
than we that we used to have before because for women mainly as as, as, as family providers and family makers um, it was hard to come to the out systems office um, after hours right because they need to be home uh, and 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 all of the sudden we were able to provide this opportunity to a lot of other people that were not uh, included in our first version and as we moved virtually um, it really it really helped it also allowed interestingly enough the fact that a lot of companies had to move to digital channels they had to do to speed up their digital transformation mm -hmm. uh, it also allowed a lot of opportunities not just to do good uh, but to sell our product too of course um, and, and most importantly to resolve serious issues we had a, um, a COVID-19 community response initiative that really allowed our community members to build uh, applications that were very important and, and, and vital in terms of monitoring hospital beds and, and doing other uh, very important things. What we've seen, though, is that as things move to virtual and two years, almost three years have gone by, effectively, uh, the community has eroded a little bit. That spirit of, of especially the new people coming in, they never saw any other outsystems developer in the flesh, right? Um, and, and we know that this is this is really hard. That's why we're really excited with this new approach uh, that we're taking to bringing back in-person uh, conferences. Um, so the uh, we are so next step uh, is 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 going to become more of a of a business focused event, and we are creating actual developer conferences that are going to be uh, in in Europe, in the Americas, in Asia Pacific. So we're going to do regional. Um, regional conferences to really bring back that in-person feeling to really allow people to see each other to have a beer to teach to laugh to have fun to learn to evolve these are all things that the pandemic took away from us um, and that we really want to we want to bring back this year and this is very exciting it, it's actually hard because you know the way the market is the way things are kind of a little bit in a downturn. Getting budget to go back and doing events like this was, was a big fight from the developer uh, relations team here at OutSystems. But we were able to, and, and Paulo was very keen uh, once we explained what we wanted to do, to go and, and help us find the, the way to do it. And this is, this, is, this is very exciting. If you allow me to, to tell you about a couple of other things that we're doing, I think this would be very, very cool. Another thing that we're talking, and I talked already about the Digital Volunteers Initiative, but as we know, we're launching ODC, the Out Systems Developer Cloud, uh, the new way of coding out systems, and this is this is going to be very important. So we're joining these two together, and we we're actually giving out uh, ODC license to nonprofits uh, and getting our community members to be able to donate to these nonprofits. Um, their skills and their coding capabilities, um, and also at the same time try ODC, right? Because a lot of these people are not going to be coding ODC for a little while. So if you're interested in learning how to code ODC uh, and, and to have a little bit practice with it, this would be great if you want to do that and at the same time help your local nonprofits. This, this is going to be a great initiative. We're very, very gung-ho uh, about, about this one. But most importantly, I think what we want to make sure is we want to localize, we want to focus on local communities, we want to foster the ecosystems, the user groups, the people that are doing this all over the world 
um, and, and really make sure that this, this in-person feeling that uh, comes back to, to our community. Yeah. So we are reaching the end of our conversation. Already. We already talked so, about so many things, and I, I will keep keep asking asking more questions. Definitely, you can keep going. You can keep going. Yeah, exactly. But we are still have we still have two final questions, uh, in a more fun tone. Uh, I will start with the the first one that might sound a bit cliche, but I'm curious about your answers, uh, which is, what's your favorite quote? <laughs> Who should go first, Baltazar or Melo? Uh, let's let go, Melo. Melo. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. One of, well, I have many favorite quotes, but one of the, the my favorite quotes is, uh, when you're up to your neck in alligators, it's hard to remember that you were here to, to drain the swamp. What does this mean? Basically, yeah. When you, you actually come into stuff with the greatest strategic intention of doing something and then the fires start going and you start putting out the fires, it's the alligators, you know, they're coming to chop at you. you. You just wanted to drain the swamp. And, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you lose track of yeah, what it is that you were actually meaning to do. And I think this is uh, applicable in many walks of life, but it certainly is applicable a lot of when we're developing software, you know. Uh, another associated sentence that people say is yak shaving, which is like, well, I need to fix this oh, but before I need to go over here and I need to fix this and oh, crap, this isn't doing, let me ch check over, oh, the data is blowing up. And at the end of the day, you you, you go like, you, 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 you've got the stack overflow and now you need to pop. What was it that I was actually trying to do? And I think the other sentence of the alligators up to your neck, I think it's a you can just visualize the poor guy who wanted to drain this one. Absolutely. Yes, that's very true. Um, I think I, I'm going to be a little bit cliche with mine, but it's something that I, I firmly believe and I try to apply in everything that I do. It's a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that says that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And, and for me, it. it's a lot harder to do something simple that it is to do something complex and and that's computer as a computer science engineer from from training uh it's it's very easy to make a really <laughs> complex program piece of code that takes care of all these things um it's really hard to it's really easy to 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 iterate and overstate and, and then all of a sudden there's a jumble of things you don't you don't understand um but this applies also to communication to trying to solve business problems to to all of that it's it's very important that we invest time in going for simplicity it's very important that we invest time as as elon musk say and i know he's not very popular but to go for the first principle right to understand uh what is the reason that we're doing this what is the ultimate thing in there and the truth is that if you do it you'll potentially figure out that the reason, the thing you're doing doesn't make sense anymore because you went down there to that first principle and that first principle is no longer true or can be solved in a different way. So the ability to simplify everything that you do, to make it understandable and easy to, to pass on and communicate to people, to make sure that your code is simple. If you have a simple use case, don't go overdo it in a piece of high code. Get something like out systems and do it in a simple way. 
and fast so that you can move on into the next challenge that is hard that you're really going to need to struggle with right and i think you know in that way this notion of simplicity is something that we should keep alive in, in our lives fantastic completely agree you're here um so now just to finish uh baltazar a question for malo and then we'll ask malo to ask a question to baltazar so no anything goes okay. you, know, you can ask anything, anything okay now. i i i i've i've known miguel for some time and i've always wanted to ask him this question but i've okay. never had the guts to to, to ask him so <laughs> now you do it live <laughs> exactly so so miguel what is your favorite monty python skit what is my favorite monty python skit Oh gosh! Um, you see, I don't know. Okay, yeah, because now <laughs> I'm learning hours and hours of Monty Python through my head. For those people who who know me, uh, I would, I would. There's okay. There's an, a very obvious one that's easy to find, which is the the Frenchman in in uh, in the Holy Grail that's up in the castle, and for some reason there's a, a castle full of French people in in the in the UK. That's quite there. fun. Um, it is a it is a great opportunity to learn how to swear at someone in a very surreal and actually not using bad words. So go check it out. You know the Frenchman taunting in uh, the Holy Grail. But if you ask me, just standalone skit yes. is actually a very little one, known one because it was not in the canon of the Monty Python Flying Circus. It was just in a specials that they did for the Austri Austrian television. Now you can see I'm going down the, the rabbit hole, right? But look <laughs> it up. You, you, you need to put all YouTube. the links for these things. It is, a, it, yeah, it, is a, it is about a shop that sells both uh, earring aids and contact lenses. And I will say no more. The first time okay. I, I saw it, you know, I, I, you know the, the tears were coming down my face. You know, I had a bellyache. I watched it again afterwards, and it still elicited the same result. Awesome. You have to see. We're definitely all going. I need to look for it. Hearing aids and contact lenses. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. Very cool. So, Baltazar, mine is a, a more a simpler one. And obviously, we we know each other for a while, and and you've been in many um, responsibilities and out systems more even than than myself, and. Um, what is the the one that I what was what your responsibility at OutSystems that you felt was the biggest? You know, when you write your memoirs, what's mm. the biggest chapter uh, of of their memoirs within OutSystems? Which is the longest or, or more important? What do you think? Yeah, more, more more important. You know, what was the one where you felt like okay, over here I grew or I pushed the needle specific, mm. more than on other ones. Yeah, well, I mean, you gave two answers, so I'm allowed to give two answers, too. Um, I think the one you're at right now is always the one that, that is making you grow the most. So I will tell you that I think what I'm doing now is definitely the furthest out of my comfort zone that I've ever been inside of our systems because of my training and because of what I'm doing. Uh, but effectively, you know, I have a great team and it's, it's, been, it's been an amazing ride. And I tell you, 2023, after everything that we prepared in 2022 for it, is really going to be the year of developer. And that's going to be, it's going to be great for all of us. Um, but I, I think the team and the extended team with the MVPs, the champions, the community itself are really going to, are really going to thrive. So I'm really excited about that. 
Um, but I cannot write in my memoirs yet because it's not done. So let me let me tell you another one. I think I would say it's the I would say almost a year and a half that I spent in Project X, and I don't know if any of you know what Project X is or was in this case. It does not exist as Project X anymore. Um, but there was a, a, a moment in the history of our systems in which we started growing so much that there was a significant amount of problems that were falling through the cracks, meaning we, we had too many departments and the problem spanned too many departments that no, no department had more than 50% ownership of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So if this department has 20%, that one has 30, the other one has 25, the other one is 15, then all of a sudden, no one's responsible for the problem. And, and Project X was an attempt uh, from, from Paulo uh, to say, I need someone that is responsible for these problems that are nobody's responsibility, <laughs> right? Um, and so there was no name for this department. We never had seen anything like this, so we called it Project X. Um, and uh, and Gaiolers led it uh, with Ricardo Arujo and Tavares and Jen. Uh, and myself, uh, Francisco, a bunch, a bunch of historical people at OutSystems kind of decided to stop what they're doing and, and go in there. Um, and it was, it was probably the biggest growth that I've ever had because it forced me to start thinking strategically about a significant amount of problems, but again, have no power to resolve them whatsoever, right? So my job was to think, here's a problem. Here are the main drivers of this problem. Now I need to go and get each one of the departments to actually do something about it. So I, I was responsible for one of our big problems. We already mentioned it, uh, which is the fact that when OutSystems lands and we sell it and the customer buys it, it, effect it effectively does nothing, right? Um, and so what we said is, okay, so we should end our sale, not when we sell the platform, but when the first application goes live and is providing value. And we call that first value. So the problem I was trying to resolve is how can we minimize the time it takes from the moment you buy the platform to the moment that your first application is live. And that is a really hard problem to tackle, but it involves everybody, almost everybody at OutSystem. So it was really cool. We started measuring things, we started being data-driven, looking at numbers, looking at reason, and, and it really changed my own way of looking at problems. And then it was, I would say, that was my most uh, growing experience inside of OutSystems. Fantastic. Great question. Great question. Great question. Great question. Great question. So this is it. Uh, definitely, uh, it was. I think I can. I can confess. Now it's definitely one of my favorite shows. I think you know Miguel Mel, Miguel Baltazar. It was awesome to be in this conversation. You know, it took around like almost one hour. I think that it's easy to say that we could definitely go for two. So many things that are still to to, to talk about. You know, uh, but unfortunately, we for the sake of time, we can't. Otherwise, I think it would be super easy for us to definitely invest more time in this. Um, so thank you for your presence, uh, for everyone that's watching us on the internet. Thank you for, yeah, for staying there. And this, this is pretty much, um, another episode of ICTO with the, the awesome autism dev community. And thank you again, Miguel Melo and Miguel Baltasar for, you know, for the inspiration and the, and the super interesting insights that both of you provided. Um, so I think that's it for me and Sada. So thank you everyone and okay. see you next time. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Sada. Thank you. Bye. Bye.